And welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your host, Daniel. And Daniel. Daniel, I have a nice uh, deepy rasp today. Well, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't call it deepy rasp, but deepy a rasp, yes. It, it's, it's a rasp, and I have a fairly naturally deep voice, it, but it, it, it is a little lower than normal right now. <laughs> I have no control over that. Yeah, I mean, instead of the squirrely high-pitched stuff, I don't think I could do that today if I wanted to. Not on purpose, anyway. <laughs> a couple accidents might slip out here and there, but... It's like, hi, we're going to talk about this game. <coughs> Speaking of, uh, listeners to the podcast, I apologize. My throat is completely killing me today. Um, How uh, Southern California is dealing with uh, rain. Yep. Uh, we are in the midst of our windy season, which is a little early. It started end of January. It usually starts basically the end of February, early March. Yep. But yeah, we what was uh, what was Saturday's winds about forty eight to fifty? Yeah, forty eight to fifty guffs up to sixty. Yeah, just things blowing everywhere. Yeah, my allergies have been bothering me. Not nearly as bad as yours are, but that's right. It's been rough. That's right. It it's been rough. So my allergies are killing me. So I apologize to those of the listeners. I'll do my best to make it through this episode. Um, Daniel might have to pull double time for us. We'll see. I ain't doing that. All right. Well, he'll make me suffer for my normal amount of time. But today we have an exciting episode. We're breaking down uh, a publisher that's been around for a little while. They're fairly new still, but mm-hmm. mostly they've been around for, for a little while here. And that is Space Cowboys. I am looking forward to this one. I like a lot of their games. This is one of the one of the companies we have broken down that I've actually played quite a few of their games. Some yeah. I like, some I'm ambivalent towards. And if I'm not mistaken, we've done a top eight debate on this, right? Uh, on on Space Cowboys, I don't think we have, <laughs> but I can check that real quick. But no, I don't think we've done a top eight debate of Space Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain we did a while back because I think Splendor was pretty high up there. But you know, we're going to be doing our breakdown today. This is when we take a publisher, designer, no, no, no. artist, or something to that effect, and break down their entire gameography um, ever since they started in chronological order till right now. And more if they have it. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that soon. But before we do so, we have some news. As always, you guys come here to hear the latest and greatest news that you've probably heard on every other podcast mm-hmm. prior to us. It's just stuff that we want to talk about and that interests <laughs> us. In fact, I don't. I think I. I only have two-ish game announcements. Not really anything big. Yep. I one only was have just one like a game announcement. Uh, yeah, so, I, yeah, I have two. One was kind of like a surprise, there, and there's not a lot of information, but I just thought it was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, you said this all the group, the mass group message, you're like, hey guys, this is a thing, we're like, oh, come on, why you gotta tell us this stuff? This is dangerous. Yep. But I'm excited for that, I'm curious to see where it's gonna go. Yeah. Um, shall we get into the news? Let's That's get That's enough it. intro banter that we're trying to do. We're also trying to run some ads, so if we end up like kind of rushing along near the end here, you'll probably know why, but viewers of the, the podcast who listen to us live, you'll understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Illuminous is joining us today. Question of the day, thoughts on Alter? That's the new TCG that they've been really promoting a lot. Yeah. I haven't looked too much into it. Um, yeah, I haven't either. The, I have the been... only other TCG that I've really paid attention to is the... Um... The uh, Star Wars one that's about to come out. Right, right. So we'll look into that here at the end of the episode. And, you know, honestly, like, I've been seeing ads for it, <coughs> and it looks interesting. My my thoughts are I've been playing trading card games for, you know, the better part of 
my life, obviously. No. But I've more dabbled. than 20 years. Yeah, I've dabbled in it. I've played a little bit of Magic. I'm, I'm okay with it. It was more of the community I wasn't a fan of. Yep. Same reason I dabbled a little bit in uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Because I had friends who were really into the Yu-Gi-Oh! series and the manga yeah. and all that. And we played the TCG a little bit. And that one was fine. Um, I've never got into the Pokemon one. I know people who collect the cards, but never got into that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Disney Lorcana. I also got into Keyforge. So TCGs is not really my thing, but I do enjoy some of what they do. I just don't want to be one of those chasers. Yeah, and I've been on TCGs for forever and a half. And I like collectible games. They're fun, especially the Magic Butt similar mm-hmm. games. You know, th- those are all fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I play like the old defunct ones. I love still busting out like a pack of just absurd things. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time favorites was um, Tomb Raider, the collectible card game. Oh, okay. That was just that such was a co-op a, one, right? It was a cooperative one or two player cooperative game. It's a dungeon crawl board game. Hmm. There's a lot of skill checks and it wasn't very good, but it was... I appreciated the fact that they did something completely different than... Cool. It's like, oh, two players head-to-head beat each other up. So, uh, yeah, and that's right, Netrunners used to be a TCG. I did play the Netrunner, um, Android Netrunner, the board game, I guess, more or less, but the non-TCG version of it. Yeah. But, all right, let's get into news. Let's get into it. All right. We're uh, starting. Let us find out. We have the Coin of Doom here. So, that's heads... Yeah. Yeah, there we go. I'm using, we're using a different coin here. We're using the Dice Tower, or the Dark Tower tower one. There we go, Tails. All right, so my first piece of news, it's a small piece of news. We just kind of mentioned it at the top. Um, It is a game that just kind of popped up on my feed. I was uh, um, messing around on Facebook and found this on the Board Game Geek group on uh, Facebook. Someone posted a picture from Robinsberger. That there's going to be a new Horrified out uh, coming this later this year. Cause and were, you know were, that if we hear something about that, we're going <laughs> to say talk about it. it yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and this one was a bit intriguing because they had a picture <laughs> of the, the one they're selling right now, the uh, Greek Monsters. I forget what it, that one is specifically. Yeah, Greek Monsters. Uh, and it's showing a placeholder box. Uh, all we know for sure, it's going to be called World of Monsters. There's no other particulars about it. Uh, there's speculation. You and me were talking about it in our group chat yep. with our friends. Um, I'm thinking it may be another little standalone game that could possibly be uh, the world version of Cryptids because we had American or Monsters, which yep. is basically American Cryptids. And so I'm thinking it's either going to be some more urban legends around the world, or you mentioned that maybe it's a legacy-style game where it's a campaign-style where you're adding more creatures, you're basically visiting the world or something like that, and yep. more monsters are coming out. Maybe you're a cryptozoologist, and you're trying to figure out all these different urban legends, stuff like that. So right, that would be amazing. It'd be kind of cool. So, But yeah, that's the first bit of the news. Not a lot of information out right now, just other than the title, World of Monsters. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, this other piece of news is kind of like a small thing. Uh, I've, I follow underdog games, and... I'm always intrigued by what they do because their games tend to be, you know, pretty high priority on what I've seen. Um, I always like the trekking games. Mm-hmm. They came out with Her Story. Um, Haven't played I, that one yet. I want to try that one. It's it's good. Um, and they recently sent out an email talking about a graphical change that I noticed prior to the email. I got a, uh, a message from oh, their yeah, Amazon yeah. sale, and I noticed that their trekking through history cover was totally different. Yeah, I mean drastically different. And it looks great. The original cover looked great. The new one looks great. 
But this one, it almost looked like there was a spinner on the front of the box, like the way that the vault thing was kind of there. Okay. It has it's super bright, colorful, but it's kind of like just weighing more into the uh, time travel part of it. It it looks cool, but then they later addressed it on their email and explaining why they decided to do that. And one of their things, um, they were they put a point of sales for like all of their games mm -hmm. uh, across the whole thing, how many units they've sold since they they were released, and obviously all the trekkings are doing good. But her story is doing like a fraction of what everything else was, and that's an Emerson Matsuchi game. Yeah. So, and they were talking about it, they're like part of the reason we think it is is one we think that just the the cover is just too serious. Yeah. It's it's too light of a game, and then plus they're like, and it's kind of boring. You know, they're, or mm -hmm. they didn't really say it that way, but they were like, we need to add in some more stuff to liven up the gameplay, make it more exciting, because it's a very simple. An effective game, but it's not. There's nothing specifically exciting about it. Yeah, and so I appreciate the company going back and and revisiting this stuff. It's like they could just you know take the high or take the high road and just continue printing what they have. It's obviously successful for a reason, or they can still try to better improve their current products, which I got to give them credit for. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, Trick Through History has a brand new cover. I urge you to check it out. It, and by the way, if you've never played that game, absolutely worth it. It's one of the funnest games I've played in a long, long time. Jumped up on my on my I do playlist. Like a lot, yeah. It jumped it up so high yeah. just by the one play. So I'm very impressed with it. And the people from Underdog Games just seem to be really cool, honest people. And, you know, I've spoken with them a few times. Great guys. Got to support them. Yeah, and yeah, I wonder if they are branching into Urban Legends for Horrified, the new one. But, I don't know, we'll see. I, like I said, it just says World Monsters, and so very wrong, how's it going? Uh, I just saw that right now. It's very wrong. It's a big problem when Twitch gives us very close colors when it's showing us in the chat, and you and Illuminous kind of blend together yep. <laughs> with the colors, so. Yay, colorblindness. <laughs> Alright, so my next piece of art is actually something that got me really excited when I heard this one. Uh, Andrew Bosley is starting his own umbrella brand. Basically, it's going to encompass everything that he does, including like his artwork and stuff like that. It's going to be called Wits End. Pretty good logo. I'll have to show it to you a little bit later, unless you. Oh, I'm sure it. he could design a good logo. Sure. Uh, and it's basically a brand for his personal projects, which include art. And this is what got me intrigued: games. Uh, he has a game in conjunction, well, a book and game series in conjunction with Stonemeyer Games called Smoking Bones. Doesn't really have a lot of information on that right now. But then he's also releasing a design, uh, co-designed by him, and I forget, uh, sorry, I didn't skip, catch the name of the co-designer with this one. Uh, but this is going to be called Lightning and Bolt, and this is going to be something you're interested in. I'm curious. Because it is a co-op tile-laying game. <laughs> so Go on. <laughs> with Andrew Bosley art on it, uh, something that he designed with a co-designer, it's kind of intriguing how this is going to work, so we'll see how it goes. But that would be uh, Wits End, a brand by Andrew Bosley. Yeah, that sounds... Very intriguing, yeah. honestly. I mean, you, you know how much I like co-op games and tiling games. I had no idea. This is brand new to me. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard this before. Thank you for bringing this up to the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate your contribution. This will be the last time we agree in this episode. All right. 
Pretty much. The next thing that I don't I'm know, we like out, a lot of the space cowboy. Games. That's true. We really, we really <laughs> do. Anyway, um, the next piece of news that I want to talk about was a game that they announced. They haven't said anything about the specifics of the game, and here's the part that makes me a little nervous: is because we we talked about it in the previous episode. Whiz kids are gonna get out of gaming. Like they they mm-hmm. announced they're, they're done with board yep. games. Well, David Tursky, who's known for um, making you know fairly complex Euro games, they announced that he, along with WizKids, is going to be making a Star Trek game. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, the Star Trek. Here's game. my thing with this one. I mean, that sounds intriguing to me because I don't think it's going to be your style, though. It's a Star Trek game, it probably but Tursky won't. doesn't really hit you like it does for me and our, our mutual friend Dom, really or doesn't. as we call him, Damn It Dom. Yes. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and that's the thing, like. As much as I like Star Trek now, I wonder how much more excited you guys are going to be knowing that he's the designer on it. I like Star Trek. Just because I'm more of a Star Wars fan doesn't mean I don't appreciate Star no, Trek. No, I know, but I know you would rather go for his name, right? And mm-hmm. and more so our mutual friends. They they hear David Tursky and go, okay, yes, that's 100%. I'm probably going to check that out. Yeah. Right? There's not a guarantee. But I wonder what the where the limbo is right now if it's gonna still be produced or if there's already in the pipeline or if it really is that or maybe it's even one of their lines that they're not discontinuing because they're still going to continue a lot of things well, yeah they're going to continue games. some stuff and they're going to support what they have but yeah. I, he they might move this game over to play to z because uh maybe because he was running whiz kids before they decided to get out of this so. yeah he was uh, the head of their game development yeah so who sees it, it seems interesting i do like turkski's games yeah uh, again, it's just I have to be picky with that one because if Dom's going to have it, I don't really need to have it because no. my other game group is not going to play it. I can't imagine more than heavy. one of us would ever need yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know when it's coming out, but they announced it uh, probably last month. All right, so my next bit of news here is very sad na- uh, news in the board gaming world, uh, especially for people who are big into kickstarting uh, games and stuff like that. Uh, the slow decline of Mythic Games is continuing. Uh, this is a big news. A lot of people have heard about it, but if you haven't, uh, they recently had come out and saying that you're not going to be producing two more of their fully funded kickstarting games, yep. uh, which would be Anastir in Hell, The Last Saga. In fact... Both of these had really high funding goals. Uh, Anastar, I think, was over a million, and Hell, the Last Saga, was two point two million, if I remember correctly. Uh, but these rights have been sold to Simon, who are say the games are nowhere near ready. They are going to have to republish them, uh, uh, replay test them, get them back into blind play testing, and all those backers that back them at these high levels that these games go for. All you're getting from Simon is the base game. Uh, none of the expansions. And if I remember correctly, how when I read this article, Simon may be bringing these games back to Kickstarter when they're ready, or Game Found one of the crowdfunding sources to get them going again. Uh, but yeah, uh, original backers are only going to get the base game, and you will still have to pay the shipping cost as well as VATS. So if you've already given money for shipping, uh, you're going to have to do that as well. So it is unfortunate. Uh, it, it, Kickstarter is not a um, 
pre-order pre-order business but yeah i mean the fact that they funded over a million and 2.2 million and this is my thing when something like mythic games and i was very weary of with them is because they would throw a kickstarter after a kickstarter after a kickstarter now i believe this is their third and fourth kickstarter they're saying they are not uh going to be producing not to mention they also um are asking for more money for other stuff that are being produced to, for like the shipping costs and stuff like that. So if you want your games that you already backed and funded and paid shipping for, they want you to pay another 30 to $50 for more shipping, if not more money, depending on what you backed it at, up to 100 from my, what I was understanding and stuff like that. Wow. So, yeah, it's a slow, slow decline of Mythic Games. I mean, they laid off a lot of workers. Uh, Sam Healy, formerly of the Dice Tower, possibly going back to the Dice Tower based on their Kickstarter recently. But he was laid off. Uh, that was the big one that most Americans know. But, yeah, yeah, I think there's only, like, two people at Mythic Games nowadays. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a sad thing to see, this situation. But this is why you don't want to live uh, by Kickstarter, especially when you're funding like these big big massive games every six months right now four games which were fully funded are not coming to backers yep which is a shame i mean like i (coughs) and i don't mean to like poke at the fire you know and i feel really bad for the people who did back on it yeah um you know they do say it's not a pre-order system but except for queen games they use it as a pre-order they they use it as a pre-order system i mean they're gonna fund it no matter what (laughs) yeah but the the truth of the matter is i mean like millions of dollars in the past couple years millions with an m that's a lot of money like that's an obscene amount of money to spend that fast and then not fulfill these two games alone 3.2 million is what i have written down so that's a lot of money yeah so I mean, I I cry foul. I'm sure all the backers are as well. But you know, again, it's one of those situations where uh, Jasco did this a number of years ago with with the Kickstarter board game, uh, um, Evil Dead, Evil right? Dead Two. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's other companies that have done that. I have to give props to Simon to actually coming in and going, look, like we will try to save this project. Yeah, we're sorry this is happening, and they bought the rights to it. I'm sure at at a probably at a, at a premium, yeah. you know, just to be able to do it. And they're going to be losing money to do that. And the thing is, yeah, they're only offering base game to people, but at least you're getting something out of it. Yeah. What sucks is that some of those people backed them at like three, four hundred or three, four hundred dollars because right. they went with the all in getting all the expansions, getting yep. a base game. Uh, and that's part of their shipping cost too. And the fact that Simon's coming in is like, unfortunately, this is how it's got to work. You're getting a base game. At least you're getting something out of that. But my thing about it, too, is that they're going to have to pay extra shipping again. Yeah. Plus, you still have to pay the VATS uh, for our European um, uh, uh, people that listen, as well as I yeah. think Canada has like a somewhat of a VAT system as well. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's tough. But, man, I mean, at least Simon is trying to do the right thing and helping people out where they yeah. can. but. Still, I mean, I, I almost would say let them die. Like, yeah. Let, let the company die. Bad on them. And I mean, they're even still trying to produce, uh, I think, one or two more other games. Uh, Besiege 6 is the big one I know. That they're still trying to get that one out. And that's the one they're still working on. Is Besieged uh, 6 like a re-implementation of Besieged? I believe uh, so. Uh, I, I think so. I'm not... Uh, that's the one I think it is. Besieged was awful. Like I don't know anything other than that. Uh, Mythic was never uh, touched my fancy when it comes to like uh, yeah. board, their board game styles. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like dudes on the map and big chunky minis at times. 
sure. they just never the gameplay was never intriguing to me. No. The only one that actually intrigued me is the one we're just talking about right now, Hell, uh, the Last Saga. I love like Norse mythology and stuff. This is based off Hell, Elheim, and stuff like yeah. that. So that was the only one that intrigued me. But even then, when this was going on, I was kind of like. And I don't want to deal with because I already know I was hearing bad rumblings about Mythic to begin with. Yeah. Uh, I think we even saw some of their stuff uh, when we went to Gamma two years ago, not this past year in twenty three, <laughs> but twenty two. They had a booth there, and we were looking yeah. at some of their stuff, and they they look really cool, but it's just not something that really intrigued me at all. Yeah, and I almost like now nowadays I I judge a Kickstarter <laughs> by how far along in their production it is. Like mm-hmm. there was. A Kickstarter that I heard about, like, uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, he does a lot of, like, uh, indie game developments, like, more mm. uh, video game development. Yeah, yeah. I know and, which friend you're talking about. <laughs> yep. And he he saw a Kickstarter where they were they were talking about funding, and he said, he was like, oh, like, like next month it'll be, like, eight years since they funded I think I know which video game this yeah. one is, too. I don't remember which it's one like it was. It's like a space game. Something like that. Yeah. But, it like, the frustrating part was that at some point they're like, yeah... Like, we're still going through development. Unfortunately, we're going to have to completely rebuild the engine. It's like, no. At that point, you shouldn't have had a... Yeah. You should have already had that in line. Mm-hmm. And, like, and if I see, like, if a game is still in development, I probably won't ever The big problem it. with that one exactly, too, is <coughs> that it was a computer game. So, when you're eight years behind, yep. yeah, you're going to have to rebuild the engine because the computers running now are going to be running that engine that you built this on. It's ridiculous. So it's like, if they're backing, like, like if you're backing like a switch game, yeah, sure. I could do that. But if you, if it's something for the PC, I'm not touching whatsoever. I hope you guys fun. I hope unless you you already have it in development. Yeah. Well, even then, like not even in development, like it has to be like ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. Even then I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to wait. If it like, it goes up on steam. Yeah, I'll end up picking it up. But other than that, I, I'd be very, very skeptical yep. of it. Because I've, I've heard some people... We talk about board gamers getting burned by Kickstarter. Video game people have really gotten the short staff when yeah, it comes to that. Yeah, I don't blame them if they don't even back Kickstarters anymore. Because yeah. why would they? I do back, like... So for me, I the only other time I branch out of board gaming Kickstarters is for books. Uh, there's yep. like indie authors. Like right now, I'm on a indie author Kickstarter at the moment. I'm only backing it for fifty dollars to get the physical book, uh, signed copy of it as well, and yeah. an audio book. Fifty bucks, not bad. No. They they reach their funding goal. They're going to be able to get it print and gone. So that's what I I will use it for. Right. Other than that, I don't want to touch like video games and stuff like that. And then for we've done this. Topic and I'm before. sure like those books were already done. Yeah, you she's know, already like got it written already... and pre order or not pre ordered, but the its book is written. It's just going through the editing process as she's sure. doing the Kickstarter. Yeah. So. See, and that makes sense. Like, if it was like, hey, like, back this brand new book from George R. R. Martin, still in production (laughs) right now. It's like, I'm never going to see that book. And the thing is, they they were honest about it, too, and saying, like, hey, it's not going to be out till 2025 because, like, all the editing process that we're going through right now, plus the the printing run and stuff like that and getting shipped, I'm going to be realistic about it, and it's going to take about a year to get it going. I'm okay with that as long as you have open communication. That's the main thing we've been talking about yep. with uh, when we did our Kickstarter thing is open communication. That's right. Hey, Creative Chaos. How's it going, Crate? Um, so yep. to your next piece of Speaking news. Speaking of books, my next piece of news is about a book from a board game publisher, our friends over at Level 99. Um, I have to bring this up because this is exciting. You and I got a sneak peek at this book. I still have my proof. <laughs> and now we will say we weren't allowed to talk about it until it was a, until it was a mm-hmm. thing. Um, now they are releasing it. And in fact, um, 
Brad Dalton of Level 99 Games, he wrote a book, um, and it's le less of a book and more of like a, um, I don't want to say pamphlet, but it, it's only like 40-something pages or 50-something well, pages. Well, yeah. it's what we it's, have as a proof. Yeah, it's a go-to guide on what he believes is good game design. And I've read quite a bit of it, and he's posting chapters online for mm -hmm. you, for people to just go in and read it. He's by, like, by no means is this a, is this a specific, like, like guidelines you have to follow. Like, mm -hmm. you can make good games regardless. But the introduction to the chapter is a, gr like, the very first chapter is a great introduction into his game design process, what he looks for in trying to make games. And it really helps, um, really helps put it into perspective their, uh, their style of game design. Mm -hmm. And I liked reading the book a lot because he brought up one of the best points, and I, and I don't mean to, like, spoilers for the book. It's not like a fiction book or anything. Yeah. But one of the points that he brought up that really resonated with me is that he basically said, like, look, any game um, is a good game if it delivers on the promise of what brought you to the, what brought it to the table. Mm -hmm. And... And that explains a lot, you know. Yeah. People who understand what Monopoly is, for example, uh, they know the kind of ridiculous stuff that it's going to do. They mm -hmm. know what it entails with it. They understand that going into it. And if it delivers on that, then how could you not say that's a good game? It is doing exactly what brought you to the table in the first place. Now, and he even prefaces, he was like, look, I wouldn't even imagine playing these games on my own time. Like, I, just because I don't like them doesn't mean that, they, that they're negated from being a good game. And that's a really solid point, and it puts it into perspective. It's like, yeah, like, let's say Munchkin, for example. Munchkin, you and I don't like it that much. Like, we yeah. like it just fine. Yeah. But, like, we've cooled on it, but it really does deliver exactly on the shenanigans that it promises. Yeah, So exactly. anybody who goes into Munchkin... They get a hundred and ten percent of what they were expecting. Yeah, exactly. Munchkin's a good game. And the thing about Munchkin too is that it brings people into the hobby. It, it brought us into the hobby. It brought our friend Gamehead Geek into right. the hobby and stuff like that. So yeah, it does. It does what it needs to do. And is that exactly what he's talking about in the uh, so said book? Yeah, exactly. And it and it goes into my own perspective. Like, uh, viewers, listeners of the podcast know I do game design. Do you have a couple under contract? One that's have coming a out under contract. this year. And and I remember one of the ones that I was pitching to one of our friends. Um, or one of the publishers that it signed under, I told him, I was like, look, I'm going to be honest with you, this is functionally not one of my better games. Mm -hmm. But man, does it hit with reactions. And I was like, don't trust me on this. Go look, like, here's a game, go try it, and you're going to see the levels of reactions, and you're going to see that it's not... Like, obviously, the first game that they're publishing from me is way, way, way more yeah. solid. Yeah. yeah, It's more legitimately a better strategic game, and it's a better design. But that doesn't make it more fun. And so that's what I need to start focusing on is like, like what's the point of like making this fun? And I, I use that strategy. Like I've been recently preparing for a Gamma trip that's coming up next month. Yep. And I talked to publishers and I've been preparing our sales sheets, you know. And for once, we're going so, as media. Yeah, we're going as media for the podcast. And I was preparing my, my sales sheets and I was trying to think, it's like, how can I describe this game to a publisher to make them excited? And I used to just say, oh, these are the mechanisms that make it work. Yeah. They don't care. No. It they want to know matter. what's going to draw the, the layman in. They want to know, like, if I hand this to somebody, what's the tagline that people would go, oh, carry on. You know, it's that's, that's the level I'm going to. So, Brad Talton from Level 99 Games, even if you've considered possibly doing game design, or honestly, even if you're in, like, video game design or anything else, like creative media design, 
you should read this book regardless it's, because it's it good. does a great job of describing uh, design as a function. Where is it? Uh, where can you buy it? Um, I think you can get it from their their Facebook page has links to their website. Okay. Yeah, so I do want to pick up a physical copy of this because I want yeah. to support Brad. Um, I do have, like I said, it's one of his like reader proofs uh, for like editing yep. and stuff like that. So literally, we can make notes in it if we wanted to. Uh, Absolutely. But I, I do want to get a physical copy of this just because I want to support them. And I, it was a good read. I'm not into game designs, but I found it very intriguing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so my last bit of news uh, after that whole uh, sadness of the crowdfunding fiasco of Mythic Games, I wanted to end on a happy note. Oh, I'm not. This year <laughs> was a first annual Board Game Arena Awards. Uh, so I looked into this. Uh, you were like, wait, when did they do this? And so I, I told you about yep. them. Uh, not only did we find out about this, uh, they recently just announced the award winner. So I'm going to run them down real quick for everybody. And I have not seen these. I haven't heard. So I am going to react. So the Board Game Arena, the way this one works, they have to be <laughs> games that are implemented on the website as well. Sure. So for those not familiar with Board Game Arena, it's how you can get uh, play digital implementation of board yep. games. Uh, sometimes you need a membership to play certain ones. Uh, you have a, They have an app. You can yep. also play it on your computer. As well, uh, so I prefer it on the computer, and it actually got us through uh, 2020. Once we did play, lockdowns, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's uh, where we come up with the um, the our friend Dom that we always mention uh, the New Orleans strategy. Yes. So because we played uh, the Lewis and Clark or Lewis and Clark on um, a board game arena, and he went all the way back to New Orleans and still kicked our butt. Yep. And yes, Creative Cast, yes, you have used board game arena. And so this is their first annual awards. Uh, it happened in January. I think they recently released the winners, I think, towards the end of January. So okay. I'm curious. Do you have all of the lists? I have the all the games that won uh, right. on here. So first I'm off, you have the best casual game. I and bet this, I could guess it. Okay. What is it? Azul? Nope. Okay. I don't know if that's considered casual. But. Ticket to Ride Europe. Okay. Yep. I can agree with that. The best regular game. Uh, and this was Heat, Pedal to the Metal. What does regular mean? Well, I, I mean, you got your weight. casual as, as simple or regular as like sure. the average medium weight type. Sure. And then the next one here is the best expert game. Okay. The heavier weight so game. So the heavier weight games. Um, Terra Mystica, maybe? Nope. Arc Nova. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, they also had the best two-player game. I mean, I don't think it's Jaipur. Nope. Oh, Sky Team, maybe. Yep. Yep. It is Sky Team. Sky Team won the West uh, Award for two player. The best forest game. Forest. Forest. What? Yeah, that's what it, it was logged under. The best forest game. Mm-hmm. One of these things is not, not like, like the, the other. other. Yep. Um, I forest shuffle if it's on nope. it. Nope. Okay. Uh, Earth. Photosynth. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and okay. then I'm the, sure I like Earth a lot. I, I do like it a lot. But this one is nice because they wanted to give this game a special award. This is the BGA Special Selection Award. And this one goes to one of our favorites in by far the easiest engine builder. Gizmos? Yep. Cool. Those are all the awards for the first annual Board Game Arena. Uh, just like we do with all the other major awards like the Spiel des Jahres, the Golden Geek Awards, as well as the uh, Dice Tower Awards. We will be continuing talking about this as long as they keep doing them. Forest game. Yep. I, I don't get it either, but that was their category. It was the best <laughs> forest. Disappointment, no seasons. Yeah, seasons is, <laughs> is a great implementation on that website. 
I don't know. Uh, but I do understand why it didn't win the Earth. I, I honestly don't know if... Uh, I didn't look too deep into this. I don't know if it was voted on or maybe as like their most played or the highest sure. rated games that yep. get played on there. I don't know uh, how they do the process. I'll look into it again. But once I saw that, I just wrote down the award winners and that was my bit of news because I thought it was kind of interesting that Board Game Arena is doing their own awards. Yep. That makes sense. And pretty much every single one of these has some sort of... Con- except for Inside Up here in, I think, Fruiterland. Uh, because most of these are... Other than Simon, is owned by Asmodee, which owns Board Game Arena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which sure makes sense. All right. Okay. Your last piece of news. My last piece of news is a quick one. Um, this is... Uh, you know, I know you were going away from sad news. I don't know if this is sad news yet. Or not, uh, the time, the future will tell. Mm-hmm. But Funko Games has just been acquired by Goliath. Yes, well, okay, yeah, we did talk about this. That's why I didn't put it on my news. Yep. Yeah, this Goliath has been around for many years. They've made a lot of different games. Rubik Cube. Yeah, Rubik Cube is their big one. They're kind of a mass market company, mm-hmm. and, and, which Europe, is totally mass fine. Market. Yep. Uh, but they have quite a few games here. In, yeah, in yeah, the no, I'm going to say, right? but they're, they're yeah. basically Europe's version of Hasbro. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And Funko Games, which originally was Prospero Hall, the design team, Forest President Creative, um, mm-hmm. they were acquired by Funko and just simply branded as Funko Games from mm-hmm. that time on. Yeah. Um, so they were exclusive to Funko alone, and I guess Funko has been having a lot of troubles lately financially. All their licensing, man. Yeah, their licensing is hurting them. Um, I like what they're doing, and pops just aren't changing. And now... They sold off their entirety of their games, games yep. section. Yeah, and now they did say in the press release that they are planning on working together mm-hmm. through this time. But again, we don't know what the future is coming out. Yeah, from. a lot of people. They said, laid out a lot of people, yeah. um, or laid off a lot of people. I don't know where uh, Prospero Hall sits in any of this, or mm-hmm. how much weight that they or had towards those. We know uh, someone that I guess now we kind of understand why he left Funko Games. Uh, he right. comes, uh, talks to us on the podcast every now and then. NPC Aaron, uh, he left the company, but I at the time we didn't know what was going on. It might have been around that time. Yeah, and we don't know if he was privy to that information, the information either. Yeah, so. I mean, I hope they keep it around. They do such a great job. They or do nothing some else, really good games. Even if they just have their own thing and they continue... Yeah, Prospero Hall Prosper breaks Hall. away. Allow, either come back in another name or something yeah. like that and still keep your design team because they put out some of the best games. Yeah, not all of them were hits, but all of them... Uh, there was only a few misses out of that thing. Yep. So Even the simple like mass market collectible chase stuff. Mm-hmm. It was still okay. Yeah, and they have Funko. What is it? Funko World or Funkoverse? Funkoverse. Yeah, that was a decent game. It just happened to go along with a <laughs> more gamery game with Unmatched and stuff like that. So, which sure. was something I prefer. But we we like talking about them. I don't mind playing Funko games. I just don't like the creepy pop. So yep. I'm hoping they can go into their own design. Maybe work with Robinsberger again because they were they were throwing some good ones out there. Yep. So we're gonna be going into today's episode now of. Space Cowboys games. Oh, that's right. I don't need my paper anymore. I nope. gotta go. That's right. Our clipboard's gonna be set down. Over here. So, we have the BGG Space Cowboys list up. Founded in March 2013, Space Cowboys is a brand new company. Not anymore. anymore. Uh, <laughs> They're about 11 years old from brand new. <laughs> yep. A uh, company board game studio that much can't be said about its members as the name may suggest. You don't have to read all that. I'm not uh, going to, but They I have some really big designers. names. Uh, you have Cyril Dimyash, who came over from Astari. Yep. 
Uh, who was the other one? Sebastian Pachon, and one that you really, really enjoyed. I am a fan of both of those guys. Um, they and a lot of them worked in Istari. A lot of them worked in GameWorks. They they obviously knew each other. They're... They also started <laughs> Asmodee before it became what it is now. Uh, well, no, specifically Philippe uh, Morat and Croc and Mark Nunez. Okay, yeah, them. They were the ones who started Asmodee, but they work. They're working with long-time Istari people, mm-hmm. GameWorks people, and a lot of them were pumping out amazing games before they uh, before they all collaborated and made Space Cowboys. That's why this stuff is so high up. And I do like this: the idea being to publish games we find cool. The range of styles from Space Cowboys might end up being quite large. The future will tell. Yeah, they they have a big range, and this is funny because this came up in like 2013 when they're saying the space of the range. There is some uh, range on the, the these set of games. Yes, there are. Yes, Creative Chaos sends those sends those cowboy emotes. emotes. All right, so we're going to be starting off with the first and oldest one. This is a remake of a Spiel des Jahres winner from 1982. It's Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, specifically the Tame and Cosmos. Murder. The Thames and, uh, Murder and other cases. Thames Murders, <laughs> Thames Cosmos. That's a publisher. <laughs> That's a publisher. No affiliation. The Thames Murders and other cases. The um, Thames is a river in London. <laughs> That's right. Now, this game, um, I can honestly say, it's a really fun, interesting game if you like being told how wrong you are. It's almost uh, kind of like an escape room style before escape room is a really big thing because you're basically working as Sherlock Holmes well, working for Sherlock Holmes, trying to solve a case that he's already solved and wanted to see how good you guys are, and then yells at you when you don't do it right. That's right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I it's, mean, a, it's an interesting deduction game. And the production is really well done. The originals used to just be basically in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, this has a book, a map, like a bunch of pamphlets that would be like like uh, uh, newspaper clippings or different guides or like a telephone directory, you know, and they have a lot of this information Included with separate books for each of the chapters, which is a really cool production. And on top of that, the box itself, really high quality box. Yeah, this is an older copy here uh, huh? that you're seeing. It's not the Space Cowboy version, but still some really good production, especially for as old as it was. And to this day, it's still pretty good. I think the shop still sells this, no? Yes, I believe so. All right, moving on to our next game here. We have Jamaica. Uh, Jamaica is a fun little racing game. Um, I believe Bruno Cathala, right? <laughs> Sebastian Pachon, Malcolm Brath, and Bruno Cathala. Yep. Uh, you're basically a group of pirates racing around trying to collect the most loot uh, and fighting with one another. So you can either load up your ship with guns to fight other players or loot. And you're trying to be the first one to a certain area, if I remember correctly. Basically, uh, Jamaica, right? Yeah. Uh, Nassau or one of those. Uh, it's basically dice rolling combat. Uh, you're played in rounds. Uh, you'll have three cards. Uh, it could be loaded. Yeah, each round one player is designated as captain with the next crossway player. And so yeah, you're just going around the board. You're playing these cards out, uh, fighting, trying to collect as much treasure. It's a fun little game. It's not one of my favorite games in the world, but I do enjoy <laughs> what it does. And so yeah, you're moving across these boards. I forget what the stars are for. Do you remember those? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. But yeah, it it's a neat little game. I do like this one a lot. Uh, but it's probably for the Cathala games. It's probably towards the bottom of my favorite Cathala games. Sure. And, and Illuminous was saying that uh, Sherlock Holmes was one of the best card ride games. 
Yeah, I, I believe that one. Uh, the next game on our list is one of your personal favorites. So one of my favorite it. of all times. This is Jaipur. Originally came out from GameWorks, which yeah. is what I knew about it. Um, <coughs> now reprinted under um, the line. There was a series of two-player lines or small boxes. Sebastian Pachon, right? Sebastian Pachon, yep. Uh, just him. And Vincent Dutrade art for the new version. The old version still had good art. I think it was Alexandre Rocher, right? Yeah, that's what it says there. Yeah, I believe Rocher. so. Um, but, I, oh my goodness, I love this game. This is one of the best two-player games I've ever played. It is a good two-player game. My wife enjoys it. We just don't play two-player yep. games. All you're doing on your turn is you're either manipulating with the market, buying or trading cards, um, what, what, or taking a single card, or selling them for the tokens. The tokens decrease in value as they get sold, and very simple production. The app is one of the best implementations I've ever seen on a mobile app. If he forced you to play games, this is probably one of the ones he made you play. So, Oh, yes, I adore this game. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I love this game. But Camel Strat, Illuminous. That's right, the Camel Strat. The Camel Strat is legit. Like I love it when you're not going for camels at all, and there's nothing but camels in the market, and they got mm. nothing to go off of. Yeah. So good. Really, but you get five points if you have the most camels at the end of the game. Yeah, really good game. I do like this game a lot. I suck at it because of the push and pull aspect of it, yep. but I do enjoy this one a lot. I've only won maybe a handful of times, and I've played this one quite a bit. I think I've played it about ten times over the couple years because yep. our friend Gamehead Geek will pull it out and we'll play it. Uh, you'll bust it out. It's like, hey, we got a two-player game. I need to play this one again because I haven't played it in a while. Yep, that type of thing. Yep, and uh, Creative Chaos. Yes, you and I have played this. So the next game on our list here is a game that. I want to play. I love the way this game looks. Uh, I love the fact that the cards are basically uh, skulls. It's a replementation of Skull and Roses. Uh, and this is Skull itself. Uh, and it's a bid, bluff, and laugh with striking components. That's the tagline they have here. Uh, you know this one more than I do, so I'll let you handle this part. You're making the sick guy talk. All right, so, no, it's a very simple game of bluffing. You only have, like, two cards, or uh, four cards. One is a skull. The other ones are flowers. So on your turn, you you choose one of them and you put a face down. You're gonna continue doing that, and <coughs> or bidding a higher number until somebody eventually calls. It's kind of like liar dice in a way. Mm-hmm. But once somebody uh, thinks that they have have done enough, then you start flipping over cards, including theirs. And as long as the skull doesn't pop up, then you're done. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's the most simple bluffing game I've ever played. And Illuminous says it's a good drinky game. I've seen this played a lot in yep. bars and stuff like that, so I believe it. Uh, it's beautifully designed. Uh, I just, for me personally, I don't really get into bluffing games itself. Yeah. But man, look at the art on that thing. Oh yeah, the art is what sets it apart. With the Calavetas and, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yep, alright. So moving on, we're going to Crossing. This one I'm not familiar with at I, all. I am, I used to own it. Um... um a lot of what this does, I'll go ahead and take it. Okay. You're, you're familiar with this one. I never a, even heard of this one. I'm going to take a break at this. No, <laughs> the, uh, one of the first gamers I was ever at, they gave away copies of this because it just wasn't being talked about very much. But um, throughout the game, you're trying to bluff, you're trying to collect gemstones, you're trying to get the best options available. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is very simple. You have a bunch of locations that are fed up with uh, different gemstones of different colors. Okay. And... Everyone plays simultaneously. You all go one, two, three, and you point at the one that you want to go to. If you go to one uh, with other players, then you're normally going to be splitting them. If you go by yourself, you're going to take the tokens. And if nobody goes to those, then they just stay. So, very simple. You could talk about which one you're going to go for. You could say, okay, 
Terra Crossing Mars? Okay, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I um, guess someone made their own version. Yeah, that is very strange. Um, you could you could straight up like talk about going, oh, well, I'm clearly going to go for this blue place so I can get these gems. Very simple. And then go somewhere else and just mess with people. Yeah, it's real simple. Um, it worked pretty well. I haven't owned it in a while, but it definitely works. All right, this one's going to make you sad <coughs> because the next game I'm going to talk about is one of your wife's favorite games. Splendor. Why is this going to make me sad? Because you don't get to talk about it. I get to talk about it. Although I will point out, I love that box. <laughs> yeah, that, that is picture. Just... Viewers of the podcast who are watching this live or watching the video version, like, take a look at how little components there are for the if box. If you take out the insert, it's just it's <laughs> just as bad as, like, the Machi Koro expansion stuff, yep. where it's, like, that much card, that much box. Yep. Uh, Splendor, it's a... Honestly, it's a very simple engine builder. You're basically taking chips uh, or using those chips to buy a card. Or you can also take a card, basically put it in your reserve. And then you're using those chips to buy cards, which can give you stuff to help you buy later cards as you're going. So this way it's like, okay, I already have a blue because this card is giving me a blue. And now I only need two blues rather than all these other ones. And you're playing out. I can't remember exactly at what how the game ends. It's like someone hits like 15 points. But somebody hits 15. Yep. That's finish what, out the round, most points. Yeah, I think it was 15. Yeah, 15 yep. points. You finish it out is. the round. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game. The art design on this game is really, really well. There's a reason why it's very popular. And the poker chips are good, yeah. solid. Oh, those are really they're, good. I mean, they're plastic, but they have a metal uh, they have sheet inside yeah. of it. So they have a good weight. They feel like almost like clay chips. And you're also going for these nobles up here as well. Uh, they're all, I think, all three points, right? Uh-huh. And so you're also playing for them, but you need specifically, like, this guy needs four white and four blue. And so you're using your poker chips as well as the stuff that you're producing. So this card, once you get it, is going to give you a diamond. Um, if you get this one, it's going to give you an emerald. And so once these are done and in your little tableau, they're giving you those plus whatever <coughs> poker chips you end up getting. And I think the the gold ones are wild, if I remember correctly. Yep. Uh, and so that is Splendor. It's a, it's a fun game. It's not one of my favorites, but... I do like it. Uh, my wife was not a fan of this one. Um, I don't know why. Uh, she likes engine builders. She loves gizmos. She loves uh, wingspan and stuff like that. I still think this is simpler than gizmos. Oh no, I I don't disagree. I'm just yeah, saying she just, engine builders. Yeah. She doesn't. She just wasn't enamored with this one. Yep, yeah, that's fair. Um, I know this also another great app implementation. Yeah, so I've heard that one too. Yep, uh, and Illuminous says Dominion led me to this game. That makes sense actually, because Dominion is one of my favorites too, and it's a really good clean version. Or not version. It's a very good, clean, simple, streamlined game. Brilliant how it works. And yes, Creative Cast, you have played it with us. Uh, the next game on the list here is Black Fleet. Never played this one. Uh, apparently, you're going to lead a fleet of ships, collect uh, doubloons, and pay the ransom for the governor's daughter. Uh, so basically, your pirates, merchants, and even the occasional captain of a navy ship all seek glory and fortune in the Caribbean seas. Uh, this is a tactical card-driven board game. You're in command of three different types of ship. Your merchant ship earns you doubloons by conveying goods from one port <coughs> to another. You have a pirate ship by attacking and skilling, uh, stealing goods from merchants and burying them on the island. And then you have a navy ship by risking your opponent, uh, sinking your opponent's pirate ships with your not always honest one money. You'll improve your ships by buying achievement card or advancement cards, giving powerful additional abilities. You'll outwit your opponents with fortune and combos. Each money uh, earn money faster than they do. Pay the ransom for the daughter and win the game. I have never heard of this game at all. Take a look at that insert over there on the right with the skull and crossbones. Uh, this one right here. That's yeah, pretty cool. I want to see that. That's 
Have you ever played this? No, I've heard of it. I've never played it. That I did, I've never Although, even heard of it. Well, that's one thing that Space Cowboys does that I really do appreciate, and I think that's part of Sebastian Pauschan's thing, mm-hmm. because Jaipur, the original version from Gameworks, did this too, had a very ornate insert, and that helps bring out the theme the of theme the game. The theme yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really cool art on this one. And I love the fact that it kind of fits. Like, this wave is almost right <laughs> next to that, where it's breaking right there, but I do like the art style on this one too. Looks pretty fun. Uh, let's look at this. Yeah. But yeah, no. That actually looks really cool. The compass and... Uh, and uh, Compass. <laughs> the two compasses that are on the back <laughs> of the card. That works really well. Yeah, so it, it looks neat. I've never played it. Um, I've never even heard of it till yeah, now. I've only heard of it, but now I want to play it. Now You, you want to see the next one here? Yep, I'll take this one. All right. All right, there you this go. is Time Stories. This You've is the one completed that's this set, one, so you I've ever... completed it. Yeah, this one is the one that sets bar none, one of the best gaming experience I've ever had. This, you are essentially temporal time agents. Uh, you're going back in time, kind of like time or time police, time cops, whatever. Yeah. And you're trying to find out what happened in this point of history that's causing some kind of temporal fault, and you got to figure it out and fix it. Very simple idea, mm-hmm. but what makes this so brilliant is that every room that you go into is a landscape picture, beautiful art. <laughs> the base game essentially counts as like a console, and you can ex- you can plug in the expansions for all the experience as an overarching storyline. Yeah. But each one has their own storyline of puzzles and mechanisms that they introduce after each one. Um, I love the art. I love the theming of it. Most of the expansions are really good. I've had a lot of fun with it, and this was just an all-time great experience. Pretty decent insert too. Yep, and, and, I might, is, and they emboss the parts of like what kind of tokens it needs. Yes, yeah. and then not only that, what I like about this insert too is when you're playing a scenario, they they have you put uh, the cards that you've already seen in one well, and yep. then the, the the story that you still got to drive into the other well. This way, you don't get like spoilers and stuff like That's that. Right. It's a fa- it's a essentially like a save file. Yeah. So it does really well. I did like it. Uh, we never finished it. Um, it just there was a falling out in our game group, yep. and so it just sat on my shelf for a while. I finally <laughs> ended up selling it. Uh, I sold my expansions to our friend Gamehead Geek, and I sold my base game finally on our most recent Bookman's run. Yep. Just because it never got played, no one was intrigued by it anymore uh, because of that falling out. There was just a bad taste in everybody's mouth. So yeah, and the, this ended up taking us, I think, seven years to finish it. Yeah, I think we finished it. Um, right at the very end, literally like two days before the end of 2022, mm-hmm. and we started it in 2015 when it came out. And what's kind of nice about that too, because you were playing with a mutual friend of ours who passed away, so yes. he was able to actually finish this out too. So. He, he passed away shortly after this, um, yeah, and it, as unfortunate as that was, he was able to see the ending of it, and he had been with us since the beginning, the beginning. of it. And so, it, it probably makes awesome. it, because imagine he did that before you finished it. Would you want to go back to it no, and try to finish it? No yeah. chance. I wouldn't, I would throw it away. Yeah. No, I figured or not throw much. it away, but I wouldn't, I would never finish yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Because one it, of our legacy games, a uh, mutual friend, his, his mom was playing with us, and mm-hmm. she passed away technically while we were finishing the last scenario, and we, we're not going to see it again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I think that's Clank, right? Yep. Mm, I get that, yeah. <laughs> So the next game on our list here is a game I'm interested in trying. Uh, I've been looking into this one. It's called Elysium uh, because what you're doing is, like, if I remember correctly, it's card uh, play. So you're trying to basically make a tableau of cards 
to get favor of the gods to earn your points. So you're playing in Mythic Greece. Uh, you're an upstart demigod who wants to earn the favor of the Olympian, uh, uh, Olympians and become a legend yourself. You'll gather heroes and powerful, part of powerful artifacts. I cannot read today for some reason. To please the god and bear the power to write your own epic tale. Uh, it's set collection, a combination in which players recruit cards representing heroes, items, power, and gods. These cards may have many different powers, and you can create powerful combinations to earn gold and victory points. Uh, each card belongs to one of the eight Olympian gods, a family, and shows a level, one through three. Uh, during five turns of the game, players will try to transfer their cards to Elysium and write their own legends, which are series of cards from the same family or from different families. Uh, yeah, so... I do want to try to pick up a copy of this and play it because I, I love Greek mythology. The, yeah. Look at the art on this. Gorgeous. Gorgeous art. Uh, I love this kind of like. Is this uh, too treat? Uh, it seems like it would be. Oh, I mean, those cards, the that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's a Dunstan game at that. So it's oh, John okay. McCambridge. There's other artists in there. But and Brett J. Gilbert. Wow. Yeah, so I, I do want to see if I can pick up a copy of this and play it, because this is, yeah, see right there, mechanism, open dra drafting and uh, set collection. A little bit of take that, because you're basically trying to hamper <laughs> other demigods, in a sense. Yeah. It looks really cool. Uh, I know they, I've seen them play it on the Dice Tower live, and I'm like, I really want to play that one. It yep. looks good. That's cool. All right, this next one is Watson and Holmes. Man, they sure do like Sherlock themes. Huh? Yeah. Um, this is their second game in their Sherlock-themed uh, games. This one, it says, Be the first to help Holmes solve the crime by following clues and investigating leads. Uh, this was re-implemented re by Watson Holmes 2, of course. Um, it's a game of deduction set in the magnificent works of Arthur Conan Doyle. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but sir essentially... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sir, oh, sir. It doesn't say that in the rules. It should say, sir, he was knighted. He was. The objective of the game is to immerse yourself in Victorian world, depicted in each story, visit the right places, decipher the clues, and above all, find the path that leads you to solve the mystery before anybody else. So it is competitive. Um, you are all working to solve the same deduction. Oh, jeez. I wonder if that sounds familiar with other games for me. Mm. Um, and you have a lot of different things. There's auction bidding, there's a modular board, player elimination, simultaneous action selection. Looks pretty cool. Um... Is based I love, off of the books, of course. I, I love that cover. That's a great cover. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, I mean, just the fact that The it's, card's not so much. <laughs> the card's not so much. Though Those are okay at best. Yeah, but, no, it looks interesting, but it's... I don't know how I feel about this one, in all honesty. Yeah. All right, so the next game on our list is a game I don't think you've tried. Uh, no, I have not. Have you? Uh, no, I have not. I've been wanting to try it. I've seen it from time to time. But I'm just kind of tired yep. of zombie games, and this one is called Hit Z Road, yep. a Martin Wallace-designed game. Uh, it is a fast-paced, morbidly kitschy game. Uh, you are and your fellow players are, are embarking on a road trip going south from Chicago along America's famous route of Route 66, something you've always wanted to do. Yes. Uh, it is, which is now infested by zombies. You travel through a deck of adventure cards rife with dangers. You battle zombie hordes, drive abandoned school buses, and scavenge for gas and bullets. And explore a darkened, tainted American countryside full of shambling undead. Uh, there's three different stages of venture cards. Create an uh, experience of increasing difficulty. Uh, so is this co-op? I don't believe so. Well, there is player elimination, so I doubt it. Uh, so, uh, since your resources are used for bidding, or the same those used in the battle, the oncoming zombie horde, your survival depends on how much resource management as it does upon winning those bidding wars. The player with either accumulating the most points, survive the longest win... 
So very wrong about games says this is a very good game. Uh, again, I haven't tried it. It looks interesting. I could have got a copy cup several times, but again, yeah. I, like I said, I am just very, very um, zombied out. And I'm also, you know, oh yeah. So the theming of this is this is a game uh, from a kid who was sitting in the back seat of a car while the zombie outbreak happened during their family road trip. So this kid is gathering pieces from other games and you know, all that stuff and compiling them together to make his own game. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I love that theming. That's awesome. So, like, if you look at a lot of the chips and stuff, yeah. it's all. it looks like it's all, like, cut-and-paste cardboard and stuff. Nice. It, it actually... <laughs> It looks good. I just, again, it's just the zombie stuff is just something that doesn't intrigue me. It's kind of a turnoff for me when it comes to games. Oh, zombies. All right, I'm done. The the biggest turnoff for me, I mean, and again, I haven't seen it, so forgive me if it's any good, but it's a Martin Wallace game. Yeah. And I've only ever played one of his other yeah, games. Yeah, you're about to talk about it. Which I was going to say you should take this one no, over because I am. That's on you. Okay, well, this is Via Nebula. Um, <coughs> clear clouds from a meadow of riches. To be the first to build out your settlement. Um, from You're what I understand, this is more. Well, I've seen. I, I've done a demo and I played about halfway through it. Um, I hated this game. <laughs> this was awful. And we played this, and I was so excited to try it because of all of the other games that were so good from Space Cowboys. Sat down at a convention, tried it out. Absolutely miserable time. And because a lot of the stuff, it's like you're trying to get like this really depth, uh, deep, like route building, network building thing, but a lot of times you're just flipping over cloud tiles, just dealing with whatever it is. It's like they threw a bunch of random into a game that is incredible, supposed to be way more strategic, and the entire time everyone else was figuring it out way better than I could, I did awful. I just, I couldn't stand this game. It was awful. I like how, uh... Good art. I, I like how they have time <laughs> stories on this map. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I couldn't stand it. Now uh, it doesn't. It didn't look intriguing me. I, I almost picked up a copy of this uh, when our barn, one of our Barnes and Nobles, was shutting down over here, the bookstore locally, nope. and it was like five bucks. And you're like, it's not even worth that. <laughs> so nope. I'm like, okay. I wouldn't even buy it to like part it out. I I really dislike this experience. Okay, all right. So the next game <laughs> on our list is one that we both really enjoy, That's and right. I only put this up here. I think I may put one other. I don't know if I did or not. Yep. Uh, but this is it's just a set of games. It's uh, one of those uh, escape rooms in a box games. Uh, originally here in America, these games were separate games. So yeah. these were the, the three that you would get. In, in Europe, you would get them all in one box. Yeah. Oh, no, no, not the one that we have now. The one that was over by the university that was used as a bookstore. That's the one that closed. Yeah. Uh, but this Unlock series is probably my go-to still escape room in the box games. I do like the way it go uh, has. I love the app integration, and in all honesty, you're just using it as you normally would an escape room. You're trying to figure out clues, and it's not like as hands-on as you would get with most right. escape rooms yeah. and stuff it's like that. It's not as tactical. You're not holding. You're, actual you're just like moving cards, cards or yeah. you're you're putting puzzle pieces together that it shows you puzzle pieces. And I'll try to see if some of these. Yeah, cards... some of the cards are red puzzle pieces. Some are blue. You combine them together, add so, the numbers together. That's the card you look for. If I can zoom in there, uh, no, I cannot get it much. But there's like a little puzzle piece there, and you're going to try to match it with another puzzle piece. Yep. Uh, but yeah, and that's what's going to give you your clues to move on and help you get through the puzzle. I love this series of games. Uh, I have a lot of them. Um, 
the the one I'm playing through right now is Star Wars. Uh, I do want to pick up the oh, one yes. that's like all the meta the meta board gaming stuff. I do want to try those. Yep. So yeah, Unlocked. It's a very fun game. Uh, probably one of my favorite space cowboy games that are out there. Oh, easily. And it's yeah. so readily available for someone to pick up. Uh, I do wish sometimes they still sell them in the individual <laughs> pack. This way, you could just give one game to a person. Yep. Try this because if you're buying like the big bulk, I think they're like forty bucks, which is yep. relatively not bad. Yeah, not bad but the original little boxes that you can get them were fifteen bucks. So, yep. and the difference between this unlocked and let's say exit games is that it's not really replayable for yourself, but nothing gets damaged. So you're yeah. like, okay, I played this. It's not consumable. I, you, yeah, you can lend it to someone and let them play through it, or you yes. can resell it to a, like a bookman's where we go, right. and someone else can get enjoyment out of it uh, instead of you know paying one price and that's all you can do. This still has replayability just with other people without any uh, damaging to the, the game itself. Right. And one of the ways that they get around, like... Like not being consumable and still having quite a bit of theme, as they do machines mm-hmm. and the way and it's all handled via the app. Yeah, and a lot of the information you can put into the app, the app handles the timer. The app does a lot of the the legwork that you would normally do in the escape rooms that like a, a game master or somebody running it would be handling. And then there's things that you can actually interact with it. And I have found in the later versions, I'm not going to give spoilers or anything, but some of the other unlocks really use the app to a really neat way mm-hmm. and different functions that I have not seen in almost any other escape room. There is one that I will <coughs> readily tell you uses one of the uh, of these unlocks that does something that is just mind-blowing. Yeah. How I, I, I really do it. It's nothing out of the ordinary, but you didn't really see it in the unlock systems. And it's called Mission uh, or Secret Mission Seven or something like that. Yes, it is yep. really neat how that one works. Yep. Uh, it is, and it's one of the few that really went, wow, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yep. <laughs> so that's all the spoilers I'm going to give you on that one, but that one's really neat. Yep, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's really cool. I do like a, unlocked a lot, and again, it's one of those things. Pick your poison. Uh, they have a plethora of things. If you like, uh, what is it, uh, Wizard of Oz, they do have an escape room for like the Wizard of Oz set. Yep. Uh, there's stuff that deals with dinosaurs. There's a cha- train robbery. Um, and then they have like the board games where you're escaping something like in Pandemic or Ticket to Ride or yep. what is the other one? Uh, <laughs> Mysterium. Mysterium. Uh, so as well as Star Wars. So you have choices out there. Yep. Cool. Next one right, here. Next one, Orbis, um, which is a game that I feel is fairly underrated. Uh, there's one quarrel that I had against it, which is the reason I got rid of it. But I used to own this game. It's a really neat game. You're building up a pyramid of different tiles. Mm-hmm. They're basically um, like Roman or Greek gods um, that are allowing you to build this. You gain the resources from it. Yeah. But what makes it different is each of those tiles give you like little benefits. They have different costs. They have different abilities. But what's cool is that you put these hexagons in a 3x3 three three grid. And when you take one of them, you're either going to take one by paying for it, or you're going to get the resources that are on it. Okay. And the way it works is that, let's say I take the this um, leftmost tile here, and that means all of the ones that are adjacent, uh, up, down, left, or right, will get a cube of that color. So if I take that tile, the other ones get a cube of the color, so you can get the cubes that are on top of it, and you can use those to actually pay for it. The only bad part about it is, take a look at, at this one right here, Daniel. Join them right there? 
Yep, this one. So if you look at the, the cost on top, those little squares, those are the costs. There is no differentiation in color, and there is a red and a green. Oh, geez. It was, and they are, like, these tiles aren't very big. They're about yay big. They're not super small. But, um, like, some of the ones, like, you can't even see what those colors are, and that's a close-up shot. So that was my biggest problem with it. Not because of the mechanism. The mechanisms were cool. The game itself was pretty neat, but not colorblind friendly. And that's and that always was a, a big misstep. Yep. Yep. All right. So the next game on Space Cowboys uh, gameography here is Encore. Uh, apparently, it's a quick playing resource management game yep. with structure construction. I've not played this one. This is a two player. No, two to four. I have played this one. I uh, do own it. It is a resource management game in which each player on their turn col- either collects three types of tokens, which. <laughs> Uh, with an onk being a supplemental resource, or buy a tile from the marketplace and add this tile to their structure. Mm-hmm. You're trying to connect tiles of the same color or bearing the same scarab while doing so by spending any onk you can shift tiles in the marketplace and change the cost and type. Each player's structure will have the mo- uh, most 13 tiles, so don't wait too long to start building. This is like Splendor Plus, honestly. It's so it has the same poker chip tiles, although they're they're smaller. They're only about like quarter size or half dollar size. There you go. Um, the tiles themselves are good quality. The board itself is actually made up of random tokens, so you don't know exactly what the costs are going to be. Um, so it has that same general idea is that the costs aren't on the card, but they're on their position on there. And you're trying to build them up, and eventually you're going to be able to like stack them on each other by color or uh, symbol. And yeah, group them together, score the most points by doing so. Okay, looks interesting. <coughs> like I said, it's like a Splendor Plus, but it's in a smaller package too. You're going to like this one. Ooh. Kale's 1303. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of Andrew Bosley. Speaking of Andrew Bosley. <laughs> speaking of Easterry Games, um, William Attila, uh, or Attia, came back, worked with them to remake, cleaning up their art, making a new version of Kalis. One of the first worker placements, this. too. Yeah. One of the few worker placements. Absolutely brilliant game. I love the way this one works. This, if you've ever liked Kalis, this is absolutely something you need to seek out. Yeah. I wish it did more. Almost nobody's talking about it now. Um, I don't know if it did enough different, but I mean, you and you played this one. Yeah, I played this one. I refused to play the original Kalis because it was so ugly and very undercolorblind friendly. So it really was. But man, this one works so well. Yeah, we liked this when we played it. Uh huh. Maybe I should get this to the table again sometime. It's your pick this week, so it is. Love that cover though. Yeah, that color for is so good. And even, like, the lettering and stuff, how it looks like a blueprint style. Oh, oof. That's that's my favorite part. Yeah, no, it's it's really well done. It's a great worker placement game. Uh, so, yeah, Kalis 1303. If you can find a copy, uh, it, it should still be in print. I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, I've seen places carrying it. It's a fun game. It's a really good worker placement game. Uh, I don't own it because I own enough worker placement games, for yep. one thing. And, two... I don't think it would be played in my other game group. Since nope. you own it, I kind of limit myself to that aspect. Yeah. All right, so the next game on my list is a re-implementation of a game we've already talked about, but I wanted to pull one of these up, is kind where of, they yeah. did uh, Time Stories as a standalone set. So they did a whole series of these. This is one of the first ones, A Mint Summer Night uh, Dream. It's called Time Stories Revolution. I think there's four or five of these now? Something like that. Um, and this is, they consider this the blue box. Yeah, um, they call series. it the blue cycle of Time Stories. Yep. 
Uh, you're still exploring alternate parallel timelines. Reality thus becomes a fluctuating concept, and players will have to unravel the true uh, from the fake uh, in this adventure built like a great game of mirrors. So it's not play, it doesn't play exactly like time stories that we mentioned over uh, earlier, but it does a lot of the same things, but you're just trying to unravel what is going on in this one and basically find what the true timeline is. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to bring this up because they did a really good job on this one. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I heard mixed reviews. I had never played this version. Uh, like I said, either. again, time stories yeah. kind of soured on my gaming group. So we just never got it back to the table. Yeah. All right, That's the true. next one here, uh, I just wanted to bring this up because it's another one of those implementations. Yep. Uh, they put a Marvel license on Splendor, and I think you're basically trying to get the Infinity Stones, if I remember correctly, on this one. Yep, trying to get the <laughs> Infinity Stones. Um, basically, it's Splendor with more rules. I mean, honestly, it's it's really no different, except you have to do a little bit more before you're allowed to win. Yeah, I get it. But I, I, I just find it, people like Marvel a lot. Uh, sure. I just found this really really weird when it comes down to yeah. getting this one if you needed an excuse to buy Mar uh, splendor because you don't own it and marvel is the reason that they'll do it you're not gonna be disappointed but if you have splendor you don't need this i was actually really disappointed when i got it yeah well you're not a big fan of marvel either so yeah but it didn't add anything fun to it that's the problem i get that yeah all right next one on our list here t for two t for two and this is an alice in wonderland's uh, two-player game. They they started making a two-player line that this is included in. Yeah. Um, Jaipur was one of those. Easy to learn, yet hard to master deck-building games in Alice in Wonderlands. Combines strategic... Uh, combines easy rules and strategic play. To do battle, you must simultaneously flip over the top card of your deck. Play with the highest card. Use that card's effect. Uh, or with the highest card, can use the card's effect or buy a new card for, for their deck. Players will use... Or collect, collect hourglasses and tarts and try to keep their hands off of the pink flamingo to win. I like that idea of like the head to head battle. Challenger says <laughs> that. Huh? Challenger says that. Yeah, but this is like you either use it as its ability or, or you, you buy, yeah. deck build. Like that's intriguing to me. Yeah, it looks interesting. I again, two player games, so I don't really look at a lot of two player games. Yep. Uh, the next one here is called A Fistful of Daisies. Now, this is something I know nothing about. I know nothing about this one either. Uh, this is designed by Frank Criton and Gregor Larguet. Take charge of cows who are fighting to win succulent flowers. Love that theme. Uh, in the Valley of Herons and A Fistful of Daisies, <laughs> cows fight one another to win succulent flowers, then get back to the cow's shed first. Uh, you'll start your, uh, starts with a board showing flowers that they want to eat. On a turn, one player rolls the dice, then each player, this is a children's game. Yeah, this, uh, the way it was reading is, and I looked over in the categories, it's a children's game. You're rolling a die, uh, each player drafts a die, okay. player takes their turn moving their cows, and they end their movement in a flower field matching the color they want to eat. They take a token and cover one of the color, uh, those colored spaces on their board. If they land where another cow is located, they must duel. You'll roll... Uh, the cows to see who ends up showing more <laughs> spots. Whoever wins and collects clover tokens equal to the number of spots you've rolled. As soon as you have at least four clover, <laughs> you had a uh, yeah, you've had in four to cover a flower of your choice. Whoever the first covers all their flowers, then returns to the cow shed, wins. And so I got to look at these pieces. Those cow <laughs> dice are awesome. <laughs> Those are hilarious. All right, that that's kind of cute. That uh, that is very cute. Uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty neat, 
Is this on their kids' line? Must no. be. It just said, oh, Space Cow, is this still Space Cowboy or Space Cow Kids? What is that? Space Cow Something. Yeah. Uh, it is in their kids' line, though. Yeah, it looks interesting. I, I love those uh, cow dice. Uh, so, yeah, I think kids would get a kick out of this game. Absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of a two-player line, here you go. Oh, Botnik. <laughs> so this is a... Uh, this is another Sebastian Pachon, but I've heard really neat things about it. Build the best steampunk garden by winning the tiles you need. It is a little bit of tile placement, which is pretty cool. Abstract strategy. Um, yeah. In a hushed intimacy of her labor, the eminent researcher uh, Beatrix Burry, or Barry, I don't know, has just discovered technology allowing to mechanically generate all kinds of edibles. Subtropical plants, stellar potatoes, onion mandarins... Or Orion Mandarins, the new technology open ways opens a way to save the people of four harms. So yeah, this is a game where it's a two-player versus game, abstract strategy style. You're laying down tiles in different ways, trying to connect certain spots to kind of combo off of each other. From what I've seen, it looks really interesting. I'm the kind that sounds like my style. Yeah. Um, especially after hearing like all of the good reviews I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. I'm in. Uh, what's interesting, uh, and it, it sold out immediately, so I couldn't tell everybody else. This was on the Game Nerds deal of the day yesterday. Sold out in like 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. I'd believe it. But, yeah, I'd no. Uh, so, another game well, we brought up, just because I, I find it intriguing when we talk about some of this, the stuff here. We have another Splendor here. This is Splendor Duel, but this is the two-player version of Splendor. Yeah. Uh, I've not played this, but uh, I do you know how this one works, really? Yes, absolutely. I played it. Um, just like Seven Wonders Duel, um, Bruno Catala was brought on to work with uh, the designer of Splendor. Yep. Mark Andre. Mark Andre. And they wanted to make a two player only. Now, granted, Splendor can play two players two player, and it plays yeah. fine with it. But this is more of a head to head, like, defeat each other. And what makes this cool is that there's three different ways to win in this version. Which, um, uh, like in uh, Seven Wonders Duel, you yep. have the science, you have the points, and then you yep. have the war. So this one, the first day, either 10 points. Uh, ten. Of, oh, I'm sorry, 20 points, 10 of the same color, or certain ones will have crowns on it. If you get 10 cards that have crowns on it, you get that. Um, just like Splendor, you're either taking chips or you're buying cards, more or less, mm-hmm. and you have a board that's a grid of the cards. Now, you can either, like, similar to um, Queens, you can either take three in a straight line that are different, you could take uh, two that are the same, or you could take a pearl. Sounds like Kuthala <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> Sounds like Kuthala, doesn't it? But what's even cooler is that different things that you do here, um, you'll notice that there's crowns, there's different abilities, and there's little sidebars. Next to the points, some of them actually give you little abilities, like either take a token again or steal a token from a player or take another turn or even get a scroll. Scrolls are cool because you you have three of them and you can actually manipulate and take extra turns or take extra gems off of the board in addition to your normal action. Is that Z Garcia right there? Um, <laughs> sure does look like it, doesn't it? Yeah, I like this a lot. It, it works really well. My wife played it. She enjoys it a lot. Um, not as much as the ri- original Splendor, but she had a blast playing it, though. Cool. I'm going to take the next one because I do really enjoy this next one. Yep. Uh, and give you a chance to... Uh, clear your throat. Thank you. The next game here is Archaeo Society, a Paolo Mori game, uh, reimplementation of Ethnos. Uh, <laughs> this one is uh, the difference with this one. It's not area control. You're playing on tracks, 
you're playing it in the same uh, route that you would do in um, Archaeo Society or in uh, Ethnos is that you're going to have a set of cards either on your turn you're going to collect a card either face up on the board or you're going to draw from the top of the deck and then when you're playing it you're either going to play of the same color or of the uh, same uh, character yep. and so in, um, in this one Archaeo Society yeah, let's see if I can find them there you go uh, on this set, you have like the archaeologist or the botanist here. I forget what she does because we never played with her. But then you have the student here. You have um, a researcher, and so they all have their own little powers that will allow you to do certain mm -hmm. things. Um, the botanist here, like if you're the one that plays the first, you get the botanist uh, board over you, uh, in which you'll score points immediately. And if you have them towards the end of the round, because you're playing in three rounds, and just like in Ethnos, I think it was three dragons, three monkeys will come <laughs> up and uh, basically the cover of the box, those monkeys will come up and then now in the round, you score what you have and then you start it all over again. You play that over three rounds. I think it's a round per player, but I can't remember exactly. But whoever has the most three rounds. Yeah, I think whoever, whatever it is, and whoever has the most points in... The difference with this one, though, like I said, it's not area control. You're just moving tracks, and so it depends on the board you're playing on when you're yep. playing a set of cards. Uh, you can move your track unless you're playing a student as your expedition <laughs> leader because the students aren't really good expedition leaders, so you cannot move on a track. Uh, yep. The further along a track goes, more than likely you're going to score more points. However, there are some tracks that do things differently, so uh, and you'll always stay there once you're done. And you're going to keep playing this out until the end of the, the third round, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. I really do enjoy this one. I think, uh, one, much more colorblind friendly than our uh, Ethnos. Significantly. Significantly yes. more colorblind friendly. Two... Ethnos does have the better art, I'm not going to lie. This one, the art is okay because, it, like I said, uh, the Ethnos at least had like all the different uh, fantasy creatures on this one, whereas you just have like different types of humans. Yep. And all the cards are the same. But the one thing I have to say that they did really well when we were talking about the colorblind friendly, they did this right here on the very top of yep. these cards. This is the matching of the color that whoever your leader is, what board you're going to go on. And they did the boards... With those same symbols. Yep. This way you know which board your card leader corresponds with. Yep. So I love all it takes. what they did with this on that area implementation. I also love the fact that they took the area control. I know a lot of people do like that area control. Like our friends Gamehead Geek and yep. Dammit Dom were not happy with the fact that there was no area control. But my wife will play this more than she would area control because yeah, she's not I'm a fan not of area control. control. I'm not a fan of area control either, and I, I prefer this version, having played both. Yeah, so I prefer this version <laughs> as well. Uh, plus, archaeology theme's just not very big, and so what this does, I like that theme. It's not doesn't come out all that well, no. but it just it didn't really come out in Ethnos all that much no, either. It but it's it's so cool. I really do like this one. Cool. Next one we're going to talk about is one of our favorite designers. This is Spellbook. It's a pretty new game. Mm -hmm. Phil Walker Harding designed this one. This one works uh, really interestingly. You take your turn in a series of phases. The first one, you're basically drawing tokens. Mm -hmm. Second one, you're using those tokens, maybe converting them. And the third one is you're potentially buying a new spell. First to get all of their spells triggers the end game. But there's each spell has three different levels on it. Some which will provide you a permanent ability, some which will provide you an activated ability, and some will provide you with an instant ability mm -hmm. um, for different phases. So, for example, um, on your first turn, you can either take two tokens randomly from the bag, 
or take one from the little main board up in front. Mm -hmm. um, once you unlock some of your first abilities, you can instead take more um, tokens from the bag or take two of the same type from the board or stuff like that and, instead of the other option. <coughs> but the thing is, it, it costs more tokens in order to uh, get the bigger spells, which might be slightly better, but also provide you more points. So is it worth it to push your luck to go even farther? You can only have up to nine tokens anyway, so sometimes you're you're caught in that little predicament where you're like, man, I need to buy this, but I don't have enough tokens. Super cool. Um, yeah, it, it works very well. And the best part about this game, which I absolutely love, are the little mana tokens. Oh, they're really good. They are uh, plastic, and they are printed on the inside of it, and there's plastic on both sides of the layer. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a clear plastic, um, really detailed Almost like a art. resin style. Almost like a resin style uh, token. They work really well. Um, they were able to put designs. Don't have to upgrade it. <laughs> yep. They have the designs behind the color, so that way you can tell, even if you can't tell the colors apart, because there are seven different colors. Yeah. They, they are pretty bright and prominent, so it's not too bad, but... Yeah. Even the ones that are similar to colorblind people, you still have very distinctive designs on it. So good on you. You're learning really well. Um, yeah, this game is cool. I also like the fact that the, this the replayability on this one is very very good yes. because you have different sets of cards. You're all going to play with the same amount of cards. You're going to play with the same eight cards. Every one of those are going to be in a certain color. You're always going to play with a blue card, a purple card, a yellow card, a red card, an orange card, all that. Yep. What's going to happen is when you first play it, it's telling you you set one. When you play it uh, to get more advanced, play set two. And then you move on to set three. Once you're all done, you, someone can shuffle up uh, the red cards, and yep. then they can draw one, and then everybody else pulls that, that specific red card out of their, their thing, and that's yep. going to be in the tableau. And you do that for all the different colors, so it's going to randomize out there, too. Yep. I love that aspect of it. I, I didn't think I was going to like this as much as I did. Yeah, I like it a lot. I, I'm very happy I have it. it. Ever since that first day that we played it, we're like, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, I like it. what it did. But yeah. Walker Harding did it again. <laughs> yeah. How dare he... Yeah, yeah, so it's really good. Uh, next game we're going to talk about here is Perspectives, a Matthew Dunstan oh. game with Dave Neal. Uh, came out uh, last year, it says, information sharing investigation game. Now, I will give credit to Matthew Dunstan. He is a very thematic gamer. He is. Like, when he worked on the adventure <coughs> games, there's a lot of theme behind some of the stuff he does. That one right over there under Mariposas <laughs> is a Matthew Dunstan game. Which one? The one under Mariposa, Monumental. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting that one to the table. But in this one, uh, each player holds key information for piecing together what happened and finding the solution. So I do love the deduction and the murder mystery aspect of it. There are three cases, each in four acts. You cross-reference photographs, reports, and clues. Without looking at the document of your team players, you will find the detail connecting all the pieces of the puzzle. You work together to solve the cases, and there's three scenarios in the box. And how's it going, Heart Board Game? Yeah. Uh, so thank you for rating our channel. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, so yeah, it just it looks really interesting. I love love this cover. Yeah, that that <laughs> cover is fantastic. Who did the art on this one? Uh, let's go back and find out. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Vincent, Vincent Dutre, Dutre and said. So yeah, the Space Cowboys works a lot with Vincent Dutre, but yeah, no, I want to try uh, find a copy of this. I do want to try to check this out. It looks interesting. I do love uh, some deduction stuff. All right. Yeah, I mean, you, you're a big fan of deduction. Oh, also. I enjoy deduction games a lot. <coughs> All right, moving on to the next one. This last one, Manabunta. 
I think I'm saying that right. It's a Reiner Knizia game, which I think is the first Reiner Knizia in this yeah, Under Space Cowboy, yeah. Under Space Cowboys. Take control of a tiny battleground with your colony of ants. Two-player game. It looks like a two-player um, roll-in, right? Uh, it's dice rolling, and it, I like the aspect of this one because it's an I cut, you choose. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, each so, player could plays, controls a colony of ants. Uh, on a turn, the active player rolls the six dice, then splits them into two groups. The opponent chooses and uses the dice <coughs> in one of the groups. Then the active player uses the remaining dice. And so it kind of is a roll and write. And I'll take this because you're dying over here. Yep, thank you. <laughs> so and you're just putting numbers out there with this uh, on the Stryer race board. Basically trying to determine who's going to have all the control in a certain area. So I, I think this okay. is because if you looks notice, cool. yeah, it, it looks neat. Again, it's just a two-player game that I probably won't get played. But if you ever pick this one up, I'll, I'll more than happy to try this one with you. I, honestly, I always say that I'm not a Reiner Kinesia fanboy like you are. But right. a lot of his newer designs or some of the stuff that they're bringing back now yeah. are hitting a little better. Like, I gave Raw a second chance. I like new version of it. And yep. I, I like it at more players because we only played it at two players and I could not stand it then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking into <laughs> trying this one. Um, I, I do like Millie Fiore. We played the mess out of that one just recently. Enjoyed yes, we do. that. All right, and the last thing we're going to look at before we end this one is another Splendor copy that I wish we had in America, because I am going to try to get me a copy of this one. Uh This is also a conjunction with uh, Korean board games, Splendor Pokemon. Uh, It it does everything uh, that you would get uh, in Splendor, but instead of gems, they're Pokeballs. Uh, which come in five colors. Uh, You buy and build a card, you reserve one card, you collect the Pokeballs, and you basically are catching Pokemon like Ditto here. Do they really have foil cards? That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, how dare they have Pokemon Splinter? I I want this one so bad because this I think my wife would play. Yeah, we only have Marvel Splinter. How yeah. dare they? No, I would. Hundred percent, I would love this. Yeah, game. so I, I'm probably am going to import it. It's going to be expensive. I think it runs about eighty dollars to import it for a forty dollar oh, game. Worth it, though, yeah. Right. But I mean, I love the art design. I love the fact that you just need a pokeball or like a two. Uh, what is it? A master ball or a great ball in uh, ultra balls yep. to, to get him, and he gives you a pokeball. <laughs> I love the different levels, and it's it's easily distinguishable. Yeah, it's in Korean. The rules are in Korean, but if you know how to play Splendor, yeah. you know how to play this one. Uh, and I think it's four levels. Uh, I think the Patreon or the Patriarchs, I think is what they're called, or the Artisans at the top. They're like the harder to find Pokemon. So like yeah. the legendaries and Lapras apparently yep. is, <laughs> shows up there. So I really, I really do want this game. I, I am going probably going to import a copy of this. Probably not soon because we have the trip coming up. We have, uh, yeah, sure. I have a big Kickstarter coming up here soon. <laughs> so. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'm probably going to implement uh, either going on eBay or there is Korean board game that will uh, off board game geek that you can have them send it to you as well. Cool. But yeah, uh, Pokemon Splendor. I wish we had this in America without having to import it. I wish but we had licensing. anything good Pokemon in America. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Poor uh, and like the original Pokemon trading card game, it was okay. Yeah, and so that was the history of Space Cowboys. Yep. So, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, we you could tell by our ranting about how good we enjoy the games are. 
we we know that there's a lot that the that this company offers and they really do combine like all of like the big tyrant or not tyrants but like the big names in a lot of yeah. those classic companies yeah and Canizia, Pashan, Kusala yeah Cyril Tamayerj Dunstan um Dunstan yeah they they know what they're doing obviously yeah. they they are definitely well established and they you can tell by just our reactions to a lot of these games even though there's a couple that like we just didn't enjoy as much yeah the vast majority of them are ones that I would absolutely attempt to play, try, and probably buy before even playing it. Yeah, just because I I trust it. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't disagree at all. Um, Space Cowboys is really hitting... Um, uh, hitting uh, the... I just realized, didn't they do Terror in Meeple City? No. Okay. Repos. Repos. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait a minute here. I didn't see it on the list, but... No, not quite. Uh, but yeah, no. I, I if Space Cowboys on the <coughs> list, I may look at the game. Uh, it might take a couple other things too, but yeah, I'm really intrigued. A lot of stuff they pull. All right, so we want to thank you for tuning in. If you ever want to contact us directly, you can email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com, whether that's to give us ideas for future episodes, just to say hello, or even enter in future contests, which may or may not be happening pretty soon. As well as all video re-uploads can be found on YouTube under youtube.com slash at Everyday Board Games Podcast. And if you like what we do, there are three things you can do to help us grow on that platform. Subscribe if you're not, like the video, and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. And if you ever want to join us on a live episode, like Heart Board Gamers, thank you again for raiding and joining us today. Um, Creative Chaos, Illuminous, So Very Wrong About Games, Sora, all of our friends that, were, that joined us today and joined mm-hmm. in on the chat, join us at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames and you can join us on a live episode. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast, podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Podbean, and Apple. And I'm very surprised I survived this episode. As always, I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And we want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. And remember, every day is a good day for board gaming.